It's the Mizzou game plan here on January the 12th. Brendan Weesey, sports columnist from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, Ben Fredrickson with you. Busy couple of hours, some football talk, some hoops talk. Aiden Shaw is going to join us as the Tigers get set to take on South Carolina tomorrow. We'll make some picks for some pivotal college basketball games tomorrow all around the country. But oh my, Ben, did the coaching carousel go for a little spin here this week. I don't know if did we realistically thought all was all was over and that we could take a deep breath. Things were sort of settled with Mizzou until they weren't. Things were sort of settled on the national landscape until they weren't. And here we are today, Ben, Nick Saban having retired and and maybe this a two- or three-act play that took about maybe 48 hours to resolve itself. I think we've got Saban's replacement, and I think they found the perfect candidate in Caleb DeBoer from Washington, and we'll, we'll get to how the rest of this all plays out, but my goodness, a, a wild couple of days, college football, the <laughs> the coaching landscape now, Ben, it's again. We jump from one segment to the next in this sport, where okay, action on the field is done, but that does not mean uh, the news cycle ends in uh, in the world of college football. Well, I got to give you credit, man. You've been claiming this was college football's last great season, and I'm sure there will be great seasons up ahead for college football, but few will be as interesting as <laughs> this one between. <laughs> In my opinion, the greatest coach of all time retiring pretty in pretty surprised fashion, um, and the crazy Michigan college football national title, and all of the hot takery and disputes that came from from Michigan's path to the title. Um, there was a lot of, of wildness this season, and it's going to continue now as this trickle down continues from the DeBoer hire at Alabama, because we'll see what that staff looks like, how how it affects everything moving forward. Um, college football just kind of froze waiting to see who the Nick Saban replacement would be. But um, before we dig into all that, I think this is a heck of a hire, man. I, I like the idea of Lane Kiffin going to Alabama, but you either have to have somebody who is a fan of the pressure and the hype and the drama and the media speculation, which is which is a guy like Lane Kiffin stepping into a job like that, or you have to have someone who's almost immune to it. And, and I think DeBoer is, is kind of one of the examples of the latter. All this guy does is win football games. Um, he's 37-9 and nine as a head coach, and that includes two seasons at Fresno State and two at Washington. This was the guy who was beating Oregon at, at Washington. Okay, you don't get Dan Lanning, go get the guy who beat him. Um, Washington is known to be a breeding ground for very successful coaches, Gary Pinkle, Nick Saban, um, Don James. I mean, this is a, a, a place that produces winners, and that's all this guy has done. I don't know that everybody in Alabama knows much about him because it kind of is the SEC standard to really only pay attention to the SEC, but you're going to bring in somebody who's going to try to put their own fingerprints on the dynasty that Nick Saban put together. you got to have somebody who's incredibly confident in what he's doing, and, and I don't think Kalen DeBoer will flinch here. And I think you need somebody that the the days of Nick Saban caliber. We'll, we'll talk. We need to get into the legacy of Saban here in a few minutes. But 
Those kind of coaches, Ben, are now fewer and farther between. And with the understanding that however NIL pivots and whatever it looks like in a year or two or three, what it looks like right now in the machine that it is, and I know we heard some reports this week that with Saban leaving, there wasn't maybe the perfect apparatus in place at Alabama, but you know that will change and that'll be ready to roll. Uh Kalen DeBoer is, I mean, what he did at Washington, and quite frankly, with an inferior roster from top to bottom compared to the other teams that were in the playoff, compared to the team they beat in the semifinal Texas, uh, compared to Alabama, and compared to the team they ultimately lost to, who to me was the best team in college football, the Michigan Wolverines, an uh, inferior roster that somehow got them to the championship game. And there were some tightrope moments and maybe some where it was like, oh, what are they doing here? Like at the end of that game against Texas, uh, that was a Washington team that played, that that still played with poise and confidence that was ingrained in them by their head coach. I think DeBoer is, is on the fast track to being one of the best in the country and he lands at ultimately the most, right now, Ben, the most prestigious job, college football job in America, is at Alabama. It wasn't that way when Saban got there, but it's that way now. After all Saban did was win six national titles. It is the most important job in college football, and whether it was Dabo Sweeney and how his profile had sort of fallen off the last few years, or somebody like a Mike Norvell, who to me, I think that was going to be a massive reach if that was the direction Bama tried to go. Dan Lanning made a ton of sense, but of course it was his team that lost to Washington twice this year. Right. So it, right. Th- this all makes perfect sense. I Now, had DeBoer stayed, Alabama was going to be in a tight spot. So they had to shoot their shot. They shot it, and they hit. I, I think this was... Uh, a collection of circumstances falling into place where it, it worked out uh, about as well as they could have asked for with um, their you know, legendary head coach having just announced his retirement. I, think the, I don't think there's anything to question about the board's credentials. Um, you give a coach who wins like he has everywhere he's been, even down to the levels before he broke into the big-time college football, one as a college player. Um, you have no doubts about his credentials. He's in the right kind of age range. He's not so new that you don't trust it. It's proven he's won everywhere he's been, and he's got a, a process that works. The only doubts I have are, are really out of his control. It's the situation. I mean, how many examples do we have? Uh, regardless of sport, um, of of it being incredibly hard to replace someone who is an all time great, and you know we can debate who's the greatest football coach of all time. I got into it with McGraw this morning, and he made his uh, Nebraska red uh, colored Tom Osborne argument. But uh, I don't I don't think anyone can argue when you factor in how college football has changed over recent years, who has done as good of a job as anyone changing with it and continuing to win at a remarkably high level. I mean, his conference changed, the rules of his sport changed, the way his sport was played changed, all these things changed drastically. Recruiting, transfer portal, and Nick Saban always seemed to ride the wave a little bit better 
than anybody else without sacrificing who he was. And it's going to be incredibly hard now for anyone, whether whether the best hire in the world or the worst, to come in and say, okay, I'm going to keep what's good but also put my stamp on this thing. When I heard the news that Nick Saban was keeping an office at the football facility, I paused because it's like that's a tough thing where these coaches who retire and are so beloved and they and they still want to keep some influence on it. That's tough because do you just walk away completely and let the new guy get established or do you try to kind of linger? Um, and I don't know what the answer is there because if Saban's around in the building, he's going to be – still you know referred to thought of as the leader and and that's going to be maybe hard for a new leader to to take that's just one example there are so many examples um a lot of the money that flowed into alabama came because it was nick saban there um those relationships that he had with nil backers or boosters um you gotta you gotta get those right you've gotta re-recruit your current roster guys are already hitting the transfer portal you got to try to to build and create a staff i mean it, it's a lot and i think they got the right guy but i don't know that the situation can be all that right for anybody honestly it's a it's a bold thing to want this job right now i think it tells you a little bit about how DeBoer thinks he thinks he's built for it i think landing and maybe some others got a sniff of it and said you know maybe not the right time maybe not ever the right time to try to jump into that well really dan lanning didn't need to do it he's built he's building something there at Oregon I think that's it's a little it's a little different and I mean who do you want right now do you want the top recruiter in the country and and maybe Lanning's you know profiling in that direction I I, I think uh Dabo has has been that guy I mean what Saban was able to do Ben is he was the best coach in the country first, and the recruiting just followed because he had he had an easy sell. You want to win? You want to play in the NFL? Come to Alabama, and oh, and play for a uh, you know a legendary program. That's that's pretty good as well. Um, and as I mentioned a second ago, when he got to Bama, th- this was this is not the program we know right now. I think it was Mike Shula who preceded him. It was, it was nothing short of a disaster, and they had just gotten done going round and round with Rich Rodriguez, who I think ultimately decided to stay at West Virginia before he ultimately wound up at Michigan, and that was—I I mean, the to say Alabama dodged a bullet there midway through the two thousands would be a a massive massive understatement and I think at the time to see you know here's Saban coming from the NFL after being tremendously successful at LSU and Michigan State before that I don't know if there was a ton of buzz around Saban at the time because well is he somebody that just wants to hop from job to job will he fix Alabama just to wind up somewhere else in just a few years and that ultimately couldn't have been further from the truth. He made Alabama, and Ben, granted, this was around the time Urban Meyer had Florida humming with Tim Tebow, but that was sort of an isolated case. I don't think it is out of line to say not only did Nick Saban make and rebrand Alabama, he made 
and rebranded the SEC. Because before he got there, it was the Big Ten. It was it was Pete Carroll with USC in the Pac-12. It was maybe even the ACC. Not like the SEC wasn't powerful. Of course they were. But Saban helped the SEC become this behemoth to what it is right now, the best college conference in the country. Go back and look in 2006 and 2007. Things were percolating every now and then. The the league was, was fine. But to become the SEC we know it is right now, Saban had to get there. And he deserves... Uh, I mean, he's getting a ton of credit, Ben, but I don't know if it's even enough to what he was able to do for Alabama, the school, and the SEC as the conference. Well, I think that a lot of those SEC, SEC chants that we hear um, from from maybe some not high-performing fan bases in the SEC, a lot of that is Nick Saban, Nick Saban. He was the, the coach everybody loved to hate, but also every program loved to draft on the success of a lot of these SEC programs have been cashing revenue sharing checks that the SEC delivers thanks to the performance of Nick Saban's teams. Um, and it goes beyond that, man. Look at the careers, the coaching careers that he's rejuvenated, kind of made up habit um, in the later years of his career of like, I'm going to go hire the guy that got a, a bad deal somewhere, got fired, got left out in the cold, or people think has lost his way. Um, and he put them back on track, and he took their knowledge. And, yeah, he, it was a two-way street. He benefited from having all of these coaches roll through his program, but he also, I think, gave a lot of people their next shot. And a lot of those coaches went out and are now leading power programs. I mean, Lane Kiffin, I mean, no better example than, than than what Kirby Smart is doing at Georgia, and that's the one guy that Alabama would have loved to go get, except Kirby's at his alma mater. I mean, he's at the one place he would never leave, and Georgia would never allow it, um, and, and, and he he is now probably the closest to being what Saban has been at Alabama, um, and he's because he's already in some ways kind of passed passed Alabama by with what he's doing at Georgia. But a lot of these coaches wouldn't be um, coaching if not for the kind of the, the chance that Nick Saban gave them. I mean, Steve Sarkeesian is in that group, and he and he just uh, had a chance to win a national championship and probably got a hefty raise because Alabama would have been interested in hiring him too. Yeah. Um, that's what I look at is just the trajectory of coaching that he, that he created. Um, his ability to stay on the cutting edge of the sport when it changed so drastically was remarkable. And it sure sounds like in some of the interviews he's given, he felt like it was getting harder and harder for him to stay there. And I think it kind of speaks to where he's at in his pursuit of perfection that a lot of people say, yeah, I'm not as good as I once was, but you know what? I'm still pretty dang good. And he says, I don't think I don't think he can handle that. The idea if he felt like he wasn't, if he was slipping an inch, he needed to stop. Um, very few think like that, but very few are built like Nick Saban. I mean, he, he and, and people joke about this of like, he could be a president or he could be in, in, in I don't know, you know, who knows, but we, we've had probably least prepared, less prepared presidents. My point is, this guy could be running high-level companies. He could be he could be running a Fortune 500 you know company as a CEO because it's about the coaching to some degree, but it's really about maximizing performance and getting the most out of people and never allowing any sort of settling. And it's easy to say, but it's really hard to do. 
and it's it's you talk to people who've actually worked for him or been a part of his teams, and it's 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 all true. Um, I used to work with uh, with someone. I used to interview someone from time to time who worked on a Saban staff, and they told this great story about after one of the six national championships, the they were in the football facility at Alabama, and some GA, you know, was walking around the facility looking as if you know he was getting ready to report to a funeral, and somebody said, "Hey, cheer up! You know, you just won the national championship." and and, and the person basically said, yeah, we thought we could, you know, thought we were all happy. And we, Saban basically got on his staff's tail on the way home from the national championship, reminding them of how bad and behind they were on recruiting because they played so deep into the, into the national championship pursuit that all these other teams had gotten a jump on them in recruiting for the next year. And that was his message, right, to the team. He's like, we're, we're behind. we got to go for next year. We're behind. And, and that's, I think, it, it wasn't a, it wasn't a shtick. That's how he thought. And that's part of the reason he was great. And it's also part of the reason he's probably totally exhausted and looking forward to not doing this anymore. The only part of, of the, of the Sag, uh, the Saban legacy here, Ben, that's a little weird as we tie this all together. Why all these years he called his wife, Miss Terry. Do we have any idea? Can you imagine you being on an interview or, or writing a column for the Post Dispatch and, re- and referring to your wife as Miss Cassandra? Can you can you see yourself ever? I mean, where? I, I mean, I know he's got he's got some he's got some Southern roots, right? But this the the whole West thing. Virginia, is, actually, yeah, yeah, I mean, I don't okay. know, does that count? That's, yeah, West Virginia's that's kind of its own thing. Kind of its own. But just I mean, what he refers to his wife like. She's his secretary. It's just bizarre. Um, well, I think I think he kind of refers to her like she's his boss, and and I'm sure there are some wondering if if she's the ultimate decider in in this retirement. Maybe that's um, it. Yeah, but uh, but she's at an influential part of the program. No down doubt. There. No doubt. It, I think it is kind of a southern it's southern type of thing. Um, it, it kind of like uh, it's weird. I'm not going to defend it. It's weird. <laughs> No defense. Uh, no defense. And, you know, I, I like to, in years past, in tweets or columns or commentary, it's always been fun to kind of uh, poke fun in, in some ways at Nick Saban for being this, you know, maniacal Darth Vader of the SEC. But, you know, as you cover more and more college football, and you see how hard it is to maintain any momentum whatsoever. I mean, you win some then your players get poached and your roster gets picked over and your and, and, it, and it used to be well they give players cars or and who knows like every SEC program is was breaking NCAA recruiting rules um, before there was just free for all with NIL but in some ways the rise of the NIL era in which there are no rules I mean there are no rules like I actually found out today this is a total sidebar discussion but there's now a you know states have rules now where like an athletic department, like say the Georgia Athletic Department, can have a an athletic department podcast, right? Um, and they can actually, the an NIL collective can actually pay players to go on the athletic department's podcast. And it's not a violation. Now, it can't come from the school itself, but it can come from a collective through like an advertising company that arranges the, I mean, that's, that's really what's happening at all these places. And it's all totally okay. It's within the rules, at least for now. And so, like, this idea of, like, not liking Saban because you think that 
players were paid or whatever. Okay, whatever. You still got to keep them and get good performance out of them. So my point is, I've developed a lot of respect over the years for just the consistency and the ability to manage players and get to such a high-level performance year after year from a team despite roster changes, despite coaching turnover, despite all of these things that were working to tear it down. It's it's remarkable. And, and that's why I would argue, and I told this to McGraw this morning, like, Tom Osborne's a great coach. Bill Snyder never gets enough credit in this discussion. They've, you know, Barry Switzer, they've been amazing, epic coaches in college football. We can have the debate of the ranking, but I don't really know that there's that much of a debate um, as, as, as far as who number one is. I think it's Nick Saban, and I think there's probably a, a gap there before the free-for-all for, for, for tied for second. It's... I, I don't think there's anybody close, Ben, and you think of, I mean, all the stats I saw this week, like, what, uh, six uh, national championships, the nine SEC championships with one loss, one, one loss yeah, that's nuts. In, in the SEC championship game, the, uh, you know, over 200 wins, and Ben, yeah, who knows ultimately what goes on in, in in the years gone by with how players were procured in the recruiting process. But you look around college football, Ben, there was never a whiff of impropriety going on at Alabama under Saban's watch. Nothing like what happens at any other school. Just go back and find all of the powerhouses. Look at what's going on at Georgia right now. Can we keep all of those coaches and players away from automobiles? I mean, that's a complete disaster right now. Uh, it's going to be just, a Segway campus. <laughs> it's just, uh, I, I mean, one program to the next. I mean, again, Jim Harbaugh in Michigan right now? I mean, give me a break. There was nothing ever like that around Saban and around that program that – uh, that that ever reached the type of level that these other programs currently have. Like the worst thing he was involved in in, in recent years was the little spat with Jimbo Fisher, and that was all, almost fun at the end of the day. It's, uh, yeah, Ben, it's Saban, and I'll tell you this, you can make a pretty strong argument that Saban's the best coach in American sports over the last 50 years. Yeah, I mean, I think you can put him. I think you can put him in that discussion and have a pretty dang good argument. Um, it, it was fun over more recent years to see his personality come out a little bit more. I think he did a good job of letting people see his humorous side from time to time. I enjoyed watching him coach this season, and I, I, not to knock Eli Drinkwitz, I thought Nick Saban was the SEC Coach of the Year because I thought he got more out of his team, which wasn't quite a typical Alabama dominant team, and certainly not at quarterback. And, and I think the way he loved on this team, people are now saying, looking back, like, oh, we should have known he was going to retire. Like, I just think he, he really liked this team. He liked the way it battled, the way it got, it got better as the year went along. And the way he, I liked watching him because he would coach teams differently. Some teams needed a hug from him. Other teams needed a, needed a, a tail chewing. And not that every team didn't get both, but he knew he had a good read on the kind of teams he had and how they needed to be coached. And, he still has it, man. He still had it. The benching of Jalen Milrow only to give him back the starting job and how he responded to that was textbook coaching. And it's not going to show up in the stats, but, but that's what happened. And it, I think it, it, it found – it got a team that probably wasn't deserving truly of, 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 of being in the college football playoff more than some other teams in terms of what they had and got them to perform better than they probably deserved to because of the changes that – 
he made throughout the season, and that's coaching. Um, so I don't know. I, I When I saw some of the headlines about he's going to keep an office, he was at work at 8 a.m. the next day, I just hope for his sake that he's actually done because you can't come back. And if you do, if you do the unretire thing, that's ridiculous. I don't think he will. But I, I just hope he doesn't feel like he, he he stopped a year or two short. Hopefully he can go and drive his Mercedes or at least check in on his dealerships and uh, <laughs> hang out at the lake in his house in Florida and enjoy the time with his family. And I don't knock him, man. He's got his health, and he's getting out. He's not on top, but pretty dang close. Yep. I think uh, I think it's wise for him to at least try to to, to find what's next and, uh, and and do it with some time to enjoy what he what he's been able to build. So, um, but and also we got to talk about this. We we'll probably do it after the break. But it, it does it makes the SEC fascinating because the SEC is changing, new teams coming in, um, and now all of a sudden that that ceiling that was always Alabama and Georgia trying to position itself next to Alabama now looks different, and there's a lot of opportunity in this league right now. I'll, I'll, and we'll take a break and, and talk about some Mizzou implications here. But, I, again, to reiterate, I think DeBoer is the perfect hire here in, in this current college football landscape. But, Ben, the shoes he's going to have to fill and the fact that if he goes out there next year and wins nine games and they more than likely miss the – you know, nine wins, we'd probably miss the playoffs – it's all hell's going to break loose. The bar that Saban set is just unimaginable, and the fact that if they were again, they when they lost two games, which was rare, but when they lose two games in the regular season, like they did last year, it was like, what the heck's going on here? And they probably still were the best team in the country, and they had a couple of crazy endings, they had a couple of walk off losses, right, in in 2022 that kept them out of the mix. Those in those years, people would just lose their minds to think of maybe nine wins. Uh, people are going to question the head coach. That's what is in store for Kalen DeBoer. He goes for he goes from low bar and low expectations at Washington to the highest in the sport in a matter of uh, in a matter of uh, twenty four hours. Yeah, and good luck, man, because yeah. you will show up in Alabama. And you'll think, man, I'm bringing a pretty dang good record here. These people should 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 absolutely be thrilled that I'm your coach. And you might walk into a couple meetings or with a couple boosters or that first touchdown club of Alabama event, and you might be looked at like you're uh, like you're you know uh, railing the the bore of uh, of some Auburn high school football team that showed up to speak. And they say, who the heck do you think you are? <laughs> I mean, that, there's a there's a there's a bubble over Alabama football that. A lot of those folks don't respect anything that doesn't happen there. So he's got to find a way to win them over. The best way to do it is to win. But, you know, I I think someone's got to early on give him the advice of what Nick Saban said when he took the job. And he was asked, it's been been reported, I can't remember, it might have been, it was probably Chris Lowe or one of the entrenched SEC reporters asked him early on in the job, you know what do you need to do to win, to make this work here at Alabama? And he said, "I need people to understand that there's one voice to this program, and it's mine." <laughs> and it sounds like uh, a king, but uh, you have to have that autonomy. You have to have that kind of confident leadership in one direction in a place as intense and pressure packed as Alabama. Maybe he has it. We're going to find out. Ben Fredrickson, Brendan Weesey. It's our Mizzou game plan. We'll talk about Mizzou. Where are the ramifications? How do they land on uh, the University of Missouri? And Coach Drinkwitz is this uh, 
This coaching carousel, it ain't done spinning yet, Ben. And, you know, Coach Drink really not, his name not linked at all to Alabama. But could there be other jobs? And and we've talked about, hey, he's in a pretty good spot. He's got an SEC job. He's got a salary over $9 million. Uh, the, the, the carousel continues here, and let's get into that when we come back on our Mizzou game plan of the Big 550. Ben and Brendan back with you. It's our Mizzou game plan of the Big 550 KTRS. And, Ben, the Alabama situation, it is pretty well settled. But what about Michigan? Harbaugh, if if we expect something to happen there, you know, could we see Coach Eli Drinkwitz and his name start to be bantied about a little bit? I, I view this slightly different as Alabama to where there aren't natural possible candidates around the world of college football like they would, you know, like there were, I think, to the uh, Alabama job. You know, people have talked about Brian Kelly. There's also, you know, the, the, the their, their offensive coordinator that stepped up and replaced Harbaugh when he was suspended at the end of the year, I think would be, a, a to me, a very reasonable uh, possible selection as a um, as a as a replacement, but again, the carousel it keeps spinning here, Ben. It's going to spin maybe for a while longer. Yeah, I, I, I am looking forward to another round of Jim Harbaugh. Will he stay or will he go? But this should be the last round for a while, right? Because if he stays now, then he's going to stay forever <laughs> or close to it. Because if you're ever going to go as Jim Harbaugh, you go now. You go now before you before you um, have the NCAA issue, whatever it's going to issue, although it's relatively toothless. It's too busy punishing uh, poor Florida State for secondary uh, NIL violations, I guess, to get to Jim Harbaugh's big case. Um, or you or you don't go. You, you say, hey, I'm staying. You do the Wolf of Wall Street. I'm staying. You rally around and take whatever punishment the NCAA hands you, and you, you weather the storm because you're a national championship winner at Michigan, and you come back bigger and better as soon as the sanctions uh, let up, or maybe you just keep winning without them, or you you do the you know the Pete Carroll and you bolt to the NFL before the before the NCAA rolls to town, and you don't look back, and you know that you can never do anything better than you did at Michigan and winning a national title. I think he should stay. Um, I think he probably has now as much whatever he wants from Michigan, um, they won't they won't throw him under the bus. No matter what the NCAA does, they'll stand by him. That's now accepted and possible. Um, there, you can have a you can be a power respected program and, and sneer at the NCAA and win, or at least come close to it. And fans won't think that that's uh, of ill repute or unethical. That they'll be fine with it and they'll rally around him. So, I think he should stay. So I, I'm guessing that that ter- turn doesn't happen. But if he does leave, goodness. Um, get ready to hear some of the same names that we just heard in the Alabama search get mentioned all over again. And uh, maybe it's a more appealing job to some of them, but it will be fascinating because this Saban situation got some guys big raises, pretty much everyone in the Jimmy Sexton camp, and they might be getting raised up again (laughs) after that. Uh, You know, you hate to even suggest it. I wonder if you'd make a hard push to try to get Ryan Day to flip sides. Um, I, I don't know that, uh, that, that, that that would be received well by fans, but when you get over Michigan versus Ohio State and how that rivalry goes or doesn't go, he's, he's a dang good coach. I, 
you, you, there was a time when you would like say that Matt Campbell is that guy, but it hasn't. He didn't jump from Iowa State soon enough. Yeah, um, he missed his boat. You, you, you would wonder about. I would look at. You've had to look at programs outside of the, you know, outside of the the SEC and the Big Ten and say, hey, who's maybe getting a little antsy about about who could be whose opportunities could be drying up in the future. Um, the one thing I will say, and, I, and I've said this regardless of the job, this idea that go get somebody from the NFL, I think that's over. Um, I really, I really don't think you're going to see a lot of hires in college football coming from the NFL at coordinator or at head coach. I, I think they're going to continue to see guys go from college to the NFL, but this landscape in college football is so bizarre. It is so nonstop. It is so absurd with NIL, with recruiting, with transfer portal. It, NFL coaches, if they're entrenched in the league, they're not yeah. built for it. And and I would risk. I would not. I would not advise any any team looking for an opening to fill to go look at the NFL. If you can get somebody who's interested, they're probably not doing great in the NFL in the first place, and there's no guarantee they're going to respond well to that environment. Well, it's funny. I feel like as a, as a football coach, you can build your legacy more in the college game because it's just it, it's coach personality driven. At least it has been. Maybe, maybe that's starting to change in the NIL era. Who knows? But in the NFL, and I think in professional sports in general, the, the coach profile, it's just it's not as big as it once was. And I think it, if that is your MO, that's if, how do I build my legacy? Maybe you do it in the college game, but if you want your life to be a lot more complicated, sure. Yeah. Go from the NFL to the college game. I, I, Dan Campbell's the name with the Detroit lions, Ben, he was linked to Texas A&M last cycle and his lions are obviously having a tremendous season They're They're in the playoffs this weekend against the, our old pals, the LA Rams. Campbell, you know, if Harbaugh were to leave, I guarantee it Campbell's name gets thrown about there at Michigan because he's right down the road. But yeah, he why would be nuts to want that job? I, I know, I, I get, get it. I, Michigan, but dude, you want to recruit? You want? I know, I get it. To, and I, no way, man. You got a coveted NFL gig. You're winning. They love you. Um, golly, Mike Vrabel just showed how to do it. You win at a place they love you. You leave for the job you've always wanted. Um, Ah, man. I, I don't know. He, Rabel's going to be able to go pretty much wherever he wants to go, and he doesn't have to do any of this. Like, if you're in the NFL, you should never willingly go back to college because college football is absurd right now. <laughs> These guys don't get to sleep, and I don't feel bad for them. They're making a lot of money, but they don't get to sleep ever. Like, they're yeah. recruiting I, or, I or portaling or NILing, and then, and then, oh, by the way, they get to do the thing they love to do, go coach football once a week. I just think in, in terms of a legacy and a brand, I think you're more easily able to build it in uh, in college football. That You can still probably make the same money, if not more money, in the NFL, but there's just something about the college game that is, uh, is different, and I think your profile can grow a little larger. But just, uh, yeah, and, and Vrabel is another name that I, I found interesting, too, but, um, uh, yeah, probably sticking around like in the NFL. Talk about names. Where did you? So, I, I pointed out in my column today. A couple of national people threw Nick, threw Eli Drinkwitz's name out there as like a could be candidate for Alabama. And I heard from some Mizzou fans who were like, "What do you think about this?" or "What do you make of this?" And I said, "I, I think really what it should be perceived as to Missouri fans is a compliment." Big time. I, I think Eli Drinkwitz won eleven games in year four, and 
has a, a quarterback developed a continue to develop a quarterback has recruited at a really high level here in the state has really gotten Mizzou rolling with NIL is perceived as a up and coming coach in the SEC who just had a breakthrough season. One eleven win season doesn't get you the Alabama job unless multiple people say no. And if multiple, if if Alabama would have swung and missed five times on who it wanted to hire, maybe Drinkwitz gets in play there. I'm not saying he would want it. I probably would. I mean, who wouldn't? Um, but my point is, I, I don't think it was like a real thing. But I do think it shows you that Drinkwitz has things going in the right direction. I also think it shows you that Missouri was smart for aggressively promoting Eli Drinkwitz not once but twice in back-to-back seasons. And yep. they got their, their their deal done with him before um, before any of this crazy stuff started. And they didn't do it because Eli was out shopping other jobs. They just did it to fit into a good spot in terms of the SEC pay structure. And in some ways, you know, I'm getting killed on this for Twitter, which is fine, whatever. But I pointed out, like, Washington didn't with the boar. <laughs> he was on a $4 million something Four. dollar deal. Yeah. And they had tried to extend him, like, I guess in the past, over the past few months. Three months ago, maybe his agent, Jimmy Sexton, knew that Nick Saban was retiring and told him, hey, you could be in play for Alabama, don't sign any other deal. Why didn't they extend him after he won 11 games last year? Um, why didn't they extend him when he won five games to start this year, undefeated, top ten team, and the new AD at Washington was hired? To me, it just seemed like they got caught a little bit, and they were probably trying to make up ground late, but that's the problem is when you're chasing from behind against Alabama, you're going to lose. No question about it. Sports columnist from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, Ben Fredrickson, Brendan Weesey with you, wrapping up this 7 o'clock hour after this. It's a Mizzou game plan of the Big 550 KTRS on this Friday night where we continue to await news on Mizzou's potential new defensive coordinator, Ben, and uh, possible internal solutions. Well, one potential internal solution never thought about as the potential coordinator in waiting, but a big loss for Mizzou tonight in that Kevin Peoples uh, very, uh, very, you know, held in high high regard defensive line coach following Blake Baker down to LSU and maybe uh, shouldn't be considered a surprise at all? Well, it was uh, expected that Blake Baker would try to get Kevin Peoples to go with him to LSU, and I think Missouri hoped that it could, kind of like it did with Blake Baker, hoped it could uh, have a bit of a defense to keep Peoples, and, and like it did with Blake Baker, it didn't work. He's gone, and uh, LSU, there's reports now tonight that uh, LSU has indeed hired him. He was kind of in charge of the defensive line and also the edge rushers, Underneath Blake Baker, they are close and have had a pre-existing, you know, uh, working relationship. So a lot of people thought Kevin Peoples would be a target for Blake Baker. Um, I think some folks in Mizzou hoped it maybe wouldn't be an easy target, but maybe, maybe it was. I think Mizzou was willing to once again give uh, Kevin Peoples a little bit more than he was making to stay. But LSU is throwing some serious money around right now. They are, yeah. They're not hearing no. Um, Brian Kelly has not only hired Blake Baker and. Kevin Peoples, he's he's added um, he's added some other um, you know some other aspects to his staff and is 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 poaching from some high level programs after firing some folks after uh, after their their bowl game. Um, they he's not taking no for an answer, and they're they're throwing money around. They've added Texas defensive line coach Bo Davis, who was really highly respected with the Longhorns. It's the third. Uh, this is the 
the third, Peoples becomes the third defensive assistant coach LSU has hired two of them, leaving from Missouri, one from Texas, and he's probably still going to go make some more. So LSU is really, really paying a lot of a lot of highly paid assistant coaches in addition to Brian Kelly, and it sure sounds like they're trying to buy the best defensive coaching staff out there, and so far it's working. So Ben, at the end of the day, do you think Ben? Or do you think Mizzou is is gonna make this defensive coordinator hire? It certainly sounds that way from the outside, instead of uh, an, an internal candidate like a DJ Smith. I do expect him to make an outside hire here. Um, I think in some ways, all of the Saban speculation about who could go to Alabama and what could that staff look like probably paused everything on the on the coaching carousel. I think now that that's settled, there will be some more movement. I, I think Missouri, with, with what we saw the Tigers willing to pay to keep Blake Baker unsuccessfully, they are going to be shopping for a proven defensive coordinator at a high level. They're going to try to do to, I think they're going to try to do to some other program what LSU just did to to Mizzou in taking their, def- their performing defensive coordinator away. So I think someone who's sitting in a D.C. spot now at a uh, at a power five program is probably the goal for Mizzou, um, and and I think they need to move fast here to try to get this done because they're probably hearing from recruits and commits and transfer portal targets that they want to know who's leading this defense, what it looks like, what kind of system it's going to run. So I think this is probably a pivot that uh, needs to happen sooner rather than later for Mizzou. It's Ben Fredrickson. I'm Brendan Weesey. It is our Mizzou game plan here on a Friday night. We're going to shift to talking some hoops next hour. Mizzou in South Carolina tomorrow in Columbia. Aiden Shaw will be with us. We'll make some picks for some college hoops tomorrow afternoon and evening. Stay with us here. You're home for the Tigers. It's the Big 550 KTRS. All right, we're talking some hoops this hour as we're you know now fully removed from college football. It's all college basketball now, although they're still competing against the National Football League, which might explain why tomorrow's slate, good, not great. We'll dig into that coming up a little later. Aiden Shaw is going to be with me in our next segment. Uh, ben Mizzou looking for their first conference win of the year. It's South Carolina tomorrow. Uh, a manageable game, but where I think I'm going to fall here in the SEC in the uh, in the days and weeks to come, I I think there could be a lot of manageable games for Mizzou where I, I think, at least me, I can make a pretty good argument that they have a chance to win a lot of these games. But take away Vanderbilt, who's not very good. Uh, a South Carolina team we probably had pegged as one of the bottom feeders in the league. That's not the case this year. They lost big at Alabama a couple days ago. But before that, they had a big win at home against Mississippi State, a Mississippi State team that in turn went out and uh, just beat Tennessee a couple of days ago. So much like Georgia last weekend, Ben, on paper, solid arguments can be made for a Mizzou win tomorrow. But it's important to know this South Carolina team is by no means, they are no pushover. They come in 13-2 and overall, and... Uh, they're feeling like they've got very real NCAA tournament hopes while the Tigers are just trying to piece together some momentum, having lost five of their last six. Yeah, this was a game that, you know, if you if you love the Ken Palm math, some people do, some people don't. This is like a game where if you're if you're expecting Missouri to win games, this has to be one they win. At, at home, 
against a South Carolina team that is beatable, albeit playing well. And then you flip it on its head and you realize, like, if you're South Carolina, uh, the, the view of this game is this is a game that you feel comfortable you can go on the road and win. Yes, so yes. I think, you know, we talked a lot about this team having a lot of coin flip games. And, and I think that has been justified by what we've seen. What we've seen. Yep. This, this group wasn't all that far away from giving Kentucky a scare on the road. Um, and they also, you know, let a young Georgia team come and beat them on their home court. So I think it can really kind of just be – I think they're going to have a fighting chance in a lot of these games. I haven't seen anything yet that screams that they should be expected to win them. Um, but I do think they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna win some of these because they play hard, they don't give up, they don't quit, and they play through the final 40 minutes. Not every other team is going to do that. And you hope that the energy – at the Mizzou Arena, which was really good, even while the students were gone, so compliment to the fans that that it can stay at a high level as this team kind of tries to find a little bit of a of a, of a of a start of a momentum. They need something to go their way here during what has become a little bit of a losing skid, and if they can get that, then maybe they can start to string together some positive games. I, I said this late on our post game show, Ben, Tuesday after the loss against Kentucky. Noah Carter is one of these guys for me that can swing these next few weeks one way or the other. Now, he could go out and score 30 Tuesday at Alabama and you still lose. That's going to be a tough one in a couple of days. But concentrating now on South Carolina tomorrow, very winnable. And I think Noah Carter's a big part of that. And something I was I, – I, I had teased, I think, Sunday, some of the numbers on Noah Carter that weren't good – and Ben, I mean, really, for this Mizzou team right now, Sean East, for better or for worse, has picked up the mantle as the go-to guy that Kobe Brown was a year ago, and at least the focal point of the team. Now, he does things differently than Kobe. As great as Kobe was, I mean, Sean East is almost a better shooter than Kobe, better mid-range game than Kobe, obviously doesn't have the physicality that Kobe was. I mean, Kobe was just, I mean, Kobe's an NBA player, as uh, he's shown and he's showing right now in the league. But in terms of being a number one option, I think Sean East has picked up that mantle well because this guy can score in a lot of different ways. He's a different kind of player than Kobe, but finds his points and does it in a pretty doggone efficient way. So from that perspective, Mizzou hasn't uh, hasn't dropped off too much from your number one option perspective. But from your your secondary guys... Last year, your secondary guys were Demoy Hodge, Noah Carter, DeAndre Golston, and Nick Honor, and you don't have as many bona fide secondary guy secondary guys, but two of them that you were counting on, and quite frankly, maybe you were counting on them to be number one guys, Nick Honor and Noah Carter. Now Honor still hasn't found it yet, and in fact, has had some really rough rough uh, performances here his last couple of times out. That's got to change, and in fact. Coach Gates has said it as much this week on Tiger Talk. I think he said it at his media gathering today. Honor has to be better. But Noah Carter took a nice leap at Kentucky, Ben. And what it what I noticed before that game was how much his shooting percentage had dropped off inside the arc. You know, he had struggled from beyond three, which was well documented. But he also really saw his shooting percentages drop off inside the arc. And that was, to me, the most glaring 
deficit this team has faced. And we've seen Noah miss a lot of chippies, a lot of layups right around the hoop. That's got to change, and he's got to be more aggressive in getting to the bucket as well. But if Noah Carter, Ben, can rediscover some of his magic from last year, and, and I don't think that is completely out of the realm of possibility here, Noah Carter could really be the key to this team either one, fading to the background and, 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 and just becoming an afterthought in these last couple of months, which I really hope is not the case, or a team that fights every week like they have been doing every single time out and might even win some games they're not supposed to win and definitely win the games they're supposed to win, especially at home. Ben, I think Noah Carter is the key to that either happening or not. And I think you can even you know map along how his season went last year where he had some struggles. In fact, he sat for, for certain stretches of the year just randomly where he wouldn't get into the game and then suddenly started to pick it back up as conference season resumed. Uh, he, he's, a, he's a big part of, uh, uh, of this thing trending one way or the other. Yeah, I mean, these veteran guys are going to be the guys who are either going to find ways to get Missouri to come out on the right side of some of these competitive games, or they're going to be the guys who ultimately are kind of pushed to the background and, and made way for some of the younger guys. Dennis Gates is is going to have to make a choice at some point this season if the wins don't start coming. It's okay, how do you start to try to build this thing forward to next season? And that might be fewer opportunities for a guy like Nick Gunn or fewer opportunities for a guy like Noah Carter. He doesn't want to do that, in part because these are veteran guys and he trusts them, he, he believes in them, and he thinks that's his best chance to win right now. And also because some of these young guys, I mean, and, and I've, I've hollered the young guys a lot, some of them, they're, this is a big, tough, physical, strong, demanding league. And, you know, if, if you're trying to keep the confidence of a uh, you know, a Trent Pierce and a Jordan Butler high, you're not exactly just wanting to throw them out there for 30 minutes <laughs> against some of these bruising teams. You you really want it to be a balance, and you want your veterans to be able to contribute. So there are times when I feel like Nick, Nick Honor and, and Noah Carter, but especially Noah, were trying to maybe do too much, and sometimes when you get a game where you feel like, okay, that's a building block, then things start to go in and – and, and happen a little bit easier. You don't feel like you have to try so hard for for every bucket. And, and it would be really encouraging to see him have one of those games. I just I, I get a I get a bad feeling when you see those predictable plays where he's got the ball kind of in the mid range or down and around the block and it's a lot of dribbling and it's a lot of barreling toward the basket without a lot of like good finishes or good options once he gets going and there are those plays where he gets the ball and just know it's going to end with him taking a shot. And and I don't love that aspect of his game, to be honest. I like it when he's a little quicker. I like it when he's shooting open threes with his feet set. And I don't have a problem with him you know, getting in at the basket, but it's got to be quick. I think that when it starts to bog down a little bit is when he tends to have some of his lower percentage looks. So I'd like to see that ball move a little bit quicker at times for him, whether it's getting back to him, it can go away and come back. But when he's kind of ball-dominant, it, it tends to not work out great. I also, you know, it, Coach Gates talked about it this week. They've got to be more opportunistic on the fast break. and Because, now, are they getting as many steals as last year? No, 
but it's not been an egregious drop-off, Ben. They're still one of the better teams at forcing turnovers. I don't know if you've noticed this. I, I see this team, and, and, and maybe it's a confidence thing, watching some of the best teams in the country. Now, granted, these are the ones with the best players. Um, they'll get a they'll get a turnover and they'll be on the fast break and they don't even hesitate. They get right to the hoop. Uh, Mizzou, even when they're out and even when they've got numbers, they're hesitant in making the extra pass and they're hesitant with you know going full throttle to the hoop. If you've got space, you cannot hesitate. You cannot slow down. Take it right to the hoop because those missing four, six, eight points per game that they got on the fast break last year, Ben. You got to rediscover those because those have been at times the difference in the ball game. Yeah, attack and uh, and and don't hesitate. I think some of that is the size um, kind of uh, um, challenges with the team. Like you've got some of your some of your best actual attackers are some of your smaller stature players, like a Sean East, like a like a Nick Honor, and then and then some of your some of, you don't have necessarily guys who feel comfortable. Like if I just go straight line to the basket something good's going to happen. Um, and I think that that's why I'm so high on Aiden Shaw, because he's a guy who can. <laughs> he's a guy who's got the athleticism and the and the length and the bounciness of some of these guys we see across the SEC. So if there's a fast break, like you're either going to have to have a flagrant foul where you tackle them out of the air, or they're going to dunk it on you, or they're going to shoot free throws. And those are the only options. Um, I'd like to see him become a bigger, bigger part of that. And I, the good news, and to take the forward-looking lens here, is we've talked a lot about the encouraging nature of Dennis Gates recruiting. He's recruiting a lot of guys who can play that way. Where it's like when a, it's, it's, a, it's, it's not a fast break and see what happens. It's a fast break and it's a three-pointer or a dunk or, or, or a foul. And those are your only kind of like three true outcome basketball. Um, and, and I think he's building toward that. But this, this group doesn't quite have – that mix of guys yet um and, and i think it shows on maybe not being able to capitalize sometimes on those fast breaks now a guy like sean east dude he can stop and start on a dime and he can twist and turn and create he's i, I have ultimate confidence in him getting a good look when he's down there in the thicket of bigger taller players um some of the other guys on the team just haven't shown that much of a finish ability um once they're once they're in there around the basket and i think that's one of the things that's kind of struggling making this team struggle. It's one of the reasons they're frustrated about not getting more free throws because you get fouled and then you get a good look at the free throw line. And if those free throws aren't coming, then then it's tough finishes. And, and this team doesn't always do that as well as it hopes. Now, Ben, we, we focus, you know, on the here and now, and, and we're guys, we're going to follow this team along each and every game and, and, um, and and live and die with some of the struggles that they will continue to have. But, you know, to widen the lens a little bit here, and it's something you've been talking about for a while, and, you know, Anthony Robinson misses the last game. He was ill. But, man, we don't see Trent Pierce. We don't see Butler out there for this Mizzou basketball team, uh, Jordan Butler, the seven-foot freshman. And, you know, Pierce especially, though, because he had worked his way into the starting lineup in that Illinois game, and now we've seen him less and less frequently since. These these are guys, and even you know, you look around the country, and some of the best freshmen, and maybe they haven't all you know, don't have it all figured out yet. 
But for guys that you're envisioning being cornerstones to your program, these guys are getting to run and they're learning along the way. And I, I get it. You want to give yourself the best chance to win. And the head coach is 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 that judge. He is uh, he is the judge and jury as to whether or not these guys are ready to contribute to a, a winning effort, game in and game out. But man, it's going to be a lot harder for me envisioning the envisioning the, these uh, guys to help you next year if they're not getting any run right now. I I'd love for Trent Pierce and for Jordan Butler, and for Anthony Robinson to be ahead of, uh, I would hope, even ahead of Aiden Shaw's progress this year. I I want these guys, Ben, to be in the starting lineup next season. That's where the argument comes into, okay, so maybe this year's a little rough for Mizzou, but things will start to turn around next year. Well, if that's going to happen, the young guys that you have pegged as cornerstones, they've got to start getting at least some consistent run uh, because they're just, I mean, they're not even seeing the floor right now, Ben. And, and, uh, and actually it almost appears like their trajectory is, is pointing down a little bit right now. And that's discouraging. Yeah, I think, well, I think it's at this point in the season, you're balancing multiple things where it's, it's okay. You'd want to do right by your veterans and you got to think about the culture of your team and, you know these guys are proven. They're expecting to play, and you're you're trying to get the best out of this season um, in terms of hoping to catch a run. And and, and you're not far. Off. You're, you're seeing results. So you're like a, a couple things click. You have a couple more wins, and then you're also thinking about okay, you want to develop these guys, these younger guys. They're going to be the long term future. I think as the season goes along, you, the needle toward which those things matters or the import of them they shift. So at, at some point in the season, it could be about well. Not that you don't care about your veteran players, but if you got a guy who's on an expiring eligibility and you're not winning, um, then it becomes more important to develop. However, part of development is not just t- sending guys out there to get their to get trounced. That that, that you want to develop a culture within wins. You want to develop a culture. You want to develop players while they're competing. You don't want development to simply be, I'm starting all my young guys, and they're going to go out and get thrashed. And it's good for them because sometimes it's not good for them. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes it, it actually it takes away their confidence. And and I think Gates is is trying to do it all right now. And I think it's really hard. I, yeah. I think it maybe gets a little easier as the season goes along. But I think he's doing it. Um, I think Anthony Robinson is showing now that he's healthy. Hopefully, we'll see more of him against South Carolina. I think Aiden Shaw is showing a more confident approach. Totally. And it's starting to get some start. I mean, so he's doing it. Um, I just think it's hard to, it's hard in like January to let that, to, to lead with that. Um, and, and in some ways I think he's hoping he doesn't have to because I think he still thinks this team can, can go on a run. Um, I don't necessarily see that, but you know, Dennis Gates has, has a lot more reasons invested to think that that could be possible and it's his job to try to get it out of this group so i think we'll i think we'll see if, if they can't find ways to win some of these games that are toss-up games i think you're going to see kind of the future take the priority and i think it'll happen before the tail end of the season i think it'll have to um and i think that'd probably be best for for this group and at that point you can't say well these older guys didn't get their chance because he's given it to them and in some ways he recommitted to it at the start of conference play, um, and, uh, and 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 things can can evolve there. But the good news, and I hope this stays the case, 
like I don't sense a lot of just outright anger or animosity toward the program. Um, I think people are kind of you know wanting to see the team win more games, but everyone I think does seem to understand there's good coming, and there was good last year, and it's really hard to to always do the, the transfer reboot. Um, and and he's not playing planning on playing that game for the long term. So I think people are kind of willing to accept some growing pains from this group. You just want to continue to see. You want to you want to see you want to see if there's going to be a run. It's got to happen soon. It's got to probably start against South Carolina, honestly. Um, and, and you want to continue to see individual development among the players who are who are most promising. I mean, the thing about that Georgia team last week, Ben. They Mike White hit the transfer portal. Had Art got R. J. Melendez, got Noah Tomlinson. Also had a great recruiting class, and those recruits immediately are helping him. Silas Demary, their point guard, freshman. Uh, Blue Kane, six foot five freshman, contributed uh, contributing to this uh, Georgia team, and they come in and, and beat Mizzou. These freshmen don't have to be stars. They don't have to play twenty five minutes, Ben. But I I, I do want to see them contributing in some way yeah. shape or form because other yeah. teams are are getting their are, you know freshmen are helping and freshmen contribute and uh, again this this thought that they have to immediately show themselves to be NBA draft lottery picks that's insane but you got to see them to, to see what you have they got to be playing more than five minutes and uh, Robinson was on that trend Pierce was on that trend and suddenly you back up that's part of coaching. I hope. I hope we see, especially Pierce and Robinson. Maybe Butler's a bit more of a project at this point. But Pierce and Robinson, man, over these next couple of weeks, I want to see them on the floor, fifteen minutes per game. And I don't think that's yeah. asking too much. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. When in doubt, play the young guys, and and not just because you're raising the white flag, because these guys can help you win compared to some of the performances you're getting from from some of the current group and. Look, if that means the veterans respond better and they want to, they, they, they respond back and get to be play more. Great, that probably means you're winning some games. So, I, I think uh, I, I think playing the youth has been something that should be kind of a steady drumbeat over the course of this season, and I think it's going to get stronger as the as the season progresses. It's Ben Fredrickson. I'm Brendan Weesey. Coming up next, Mizzou sophomore forward. We've talked a lot about him already. Aiden Shaw with us next. It's the Mizzou, Mizzou game, game plan, plan on the Big continues here on the Big 550. KTRS getting you ready for Mizzou and South Carolina tomorrow in Columbia. Super thrilled to welcome onto the show right now. He is a sophomore forward for your Tigers, and uh, he has been uh, exploding on the scene here as of late. He is a Kansas City kid as well. Uh, really pleased to welcome Aiden Shaw onto the program here tonight. Aiden, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm great, and I should specify Overland Park. Not, I mean, yes, cl- I mean, do you consider your, yourself a Kansas City guy, Aiden? Uh, uh, how, how do you how do you parse that? I, I I say I'm from Kansas City. I say I'm a Kansas City guy. You know. Um, Smart base, he likes to say, you know, I'm just just outside of it, but um, I believe I'm a Kansas City guy, so it's right there, it's right there. Exactly, exactly. How, you know, for you and, and you, of course, you're initially recruited by Conzo Martin. You you stay on and you give your commitment to Dennis Gates when he arrived. How long were you at, you know, going through your high school days? Did you always target Mizzou? How, how what was that process like? And was it uh, was 
was it complicated then when, when there's a coaching change? How do you go through that as a young man trying to make a, a decision for his future? Uh, so originally going through the recruitment process, I really enjoyed the process, talking to coaches, building relationships. And, I mean, during the end, I was able to commit to Mizzou and Conzo Martin. I think it was on my birthday, um, September 17th, um, a couple years ago. Yeah. So with the coaching change, I had to open my recruitment back up and um, build more relationship with more coaches. So I feel like it it was, um, I don't know if it was, difficult but it was definitely um having that weight back on your shoulders of of the recruitment and having to choose a school again and so when coach gates came and talked to me he was able to convince me uh with his words and he actually came to my house and talked to my family and really just spoke about all the values that that i really was looking for in a school so that's that's why i ended up coming back to to mizzou well, and we, uh, we, we've had a chance to talk to a lot of your teammates over the last several weeks, uh, a lot of the upperclassmen, be it uh, Nick or, or, or Noah or Sean. Uh, we talked to Tamar last week. And, uh, you know, the, 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 an overriding theme, a consistent theme with this coaching staff is that it's a, it's a group of guys that are obviously tremendous basketball minds, but they care for the individual. They care for you as a person as well as a basketball player. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, for sure. That was so. The first time I talked to Coach Gates on the phone, um, I was able to. I mean, he told me straight up that he wants he wants to be invited to my wedding in the future, and he wants my teammates to be at my wedding. And you know, a wedding's supposed to be one of the biggest events in, in a, a person's life, so. Um, just, just hearing that and then him coming to my house, like I said, and, and talking to not only my parents and my siblings, but also he talked to my grandparents. And, um, so just, just seeing that. And then I just, I just really bought into the whole relationship thing. And so once we came down here over the summer, we didn't touch a basketball for the first week. We all just, uh, built team chemistry and built a relationship. So the guys, my teammates, they're my brothers, and now my teammates, they're my brothers, and um, I mean that's that's what I've got to say about the relationship part about relationship part about Mizzou. Well, Aiden, your your Mizzou journey here so far, you guys go to an NCAA tournament your first year last season, a team that had, as we would come to learn a little later on, multiple NBA players on it with uh, with Kobe and Demoy. You guys make it to the second round here in year two. You guys are, are, are continuing to, to build up a program, um, but maybe facing a little more adversity this year than last. Talk about that and, and those challenges um, as you continue to get more playing time and, and develop as a player. I, you know, How do you handle that um, as a sophomore where you've got – um, again, your game improving, but the team may be facing a little bit of adversity. So I believe that, um, you know, we had our, our adversity last year as well, but we were able to, you know, sometimes pull out of, with a win and still um, and still have the lessons that we learned this year. It just so happened that we're losing a couple games and we're, we're really building, build, building character right now and uh, pulling together, figuring, figuring each other out on the court. And so the main thing is uh, we just need to uh, stick together, believe in our coaches, believe in our game plan, and uh, believe in each other. 
And I mean, that'll get us to the next step. I think it'll. I think we still are going to have a great season, and we're going to be there April six and April eighth. Well, your I mean, your game, as I mentioned, uh, is really expanding. And I mean, certainly in, in watching these games, uh, I mean, I've noticed, and you can speak to it better than I can, obviously. Uh, is your confidence, Aiden, growing on the offensive end, especially over these last couple of weeks? I think that uh, my confidence, my confidence in seeing the game, has definitely grown. Uh, just with a, a year of experience under my belt now, I'm able to. I mean, the game slows down for me, so just just seeing uh, and sticking to the game plan and believing in what my coaches are telling me and executing at 110. percent I'm seeing a different kind of result that, um, I mean, as you guys can see, I've been getting a lot of dunks, and that's yeah. just based on me, you know, making the right cuts and seeing the right the right gaps in the in the offense and the defense. So um, I believe that the experience that I've gotten over the last year has really helped me. For and, sure. and, I, and Aiden, I don't know exactly what the number was against Georgia, five or six dunks for you in that game against the Dogs. Just how exhilarating is that uh, of a feeling for you at home? And, again, it was a a whale of a game where you guys come back and and, and fall just short. But that had to be be a lot of fun for you because it felt like kind of a coming-out party for for how this season has has sort of come around for you. Um, I feel like me dunking the ball is just an electric energy, um, energy energy-gathering, thing that uh, my team can feed off of and I feed off and um, even the crowd so every time that I dunk I can you can just feel the energy in the building and I definitely really enjoy definitely really enjoy dunking for sure yeah it was uh, yeah yeah it was wild last uh, last week in that in that win and, and you guys you go you go down to Kentucky and uh, a Kentucky team that is uh, was a top 10 team when you played them just a couple of nights ago, and one of the best offenses in the country, and you guys hung with them uh, beginning to end. Uh, but just from you, and maybe you don't play as many minutes in, in, in down in Lexington, tell me about the challenges for you in, in, in terms of rebounding and, and how important an aspect um, that is for you on a, on a Mizzou team that uh, sometimes Coach Gates wants to go small. Maybe you're the biggest guy on the floor uh, just, just tell me a little bit about the uh, about the rebounding aspect of your game right now. Rebounding for me is a really big aspect. Coach Gates has been uh, preaching to me and coaching to me since I've been here that I need to get a rebound every three minutes, and um, that'll help me get to help me achieve my ultimate goals. So, um, I mean, overall in every game, I try to get as many rebounds as I can, uh, no matter what. Uh, I believe in the Kentucky game, I had a couple. Uh, a couple that I could have gotten for sure that I didn't get, and um, just looking back at film. So, I mean, overall, rebounding is definitely really important for me. Like I said, I try to strive for three minutes if I can. So maybe you didn't have as right. many, maybe maybe not as many rebounds in that game, Aiden, but you did have a couple of monster blocks, and I and I and I felt like you came back in in that second half, and there was like a ninety second stretch where uh, your your defense really sort of swung that game for a few minutes. In terms of blocking shots, where is that at for you? Because you've had, a, I think, multiple five-block games already this year. You're one of the best, you know, just in terms of rate stats, one of the best shot blockers in the country right now. How confident do you feel in, in that aspect of your game? 
I think that blocking shots is, I mean, it's up there with rebounding for me. It's definitely really important. I think it's a kind of mindset where any person who shoots the ball in my vicinity and I think I can get to it, I'm going to try to block it. And, I mean, I just think that and, and getting blocks is, of course, going to help us go back to the offensive end because defense leads to offense. So, um and I've been blocking shots uh, since since I can remember, so I think it's maybe engraved in, engraved in my soul. Yeah. So that's just something that I, I enjoy doing, for sure, blocking we, shots. We heard some of your coaches a couple nights ago on Tiger Talk mention something, and I hadn't heard this talked about yet, uh, but something I've noticed, and it certainly makes sense, is we're not seeing as many... Uh, as many charges called um, in, in college basketball this season, and it got me thinking a little bit. And and uh, essentially, the genesis of the conversation is that you guys, in terms of you know defense, are mindful of that, and maybe it's leading to more block shots. Certainly for you, how, how do you guys uh, basically uh, you know deal with that? To where are, are you? you don't maybe set yourself up defensively as much to try and take a charge because the officials uh, aren't going to call it as much. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, last year people would have the mindset of if you're in a spot, uh, they would try to take a charge this year. It's like a 95% where like 90, 90% of the time they're going to call a blocking foul now because the offensive player has to have something about the gathering step. I don't know the exact wording of it, but that I feel like has definitely helped us be a better team uh, defensively in the paint, just uh, walling up and going straight vertical, hands straight up and out, and not down over the offensive player. Um, that, that rule has definitely changed uh, the SEC this year, for sure. Even the first uh, couple games in the SEC, I, you can definitely see the difference in driving. Um, you were Like a couple of times, you would have thought it was a charge, but... but it's changed, like you said. So it's definitely changed the uh, the shot blocking aspect and the defensive defensive aspect of the game in the paint. Yeah, very interesting to watch, and yeah, certainly changing some aspects uh, of the sport right now. And and Aiden, before we say goodbye, I do want to talk about something you've announced. In fact, I think you announced it on New Year's Day uh, about a couple of scholarships that you're making available in your name to prospective high school students. Tell me about this and, and just the inspiration for you, a young man that um, it, it is doing something really special for uh, a couple of deserving students. Yeah, so I've got, I have three scholarships. Um, uh, the main thing is they're, they're for uh, students in high school. Um, I mean, I have a lot of rules and stuff on it. If you, if you want to apply for the scholarships, um, and and you're part of the and you're in the um, in the area that they're in. You can uh, visit my Twitter and look at the link in my bio, um, theaidenshaw.com, and I've got all the rules and regulations of it. Um, and so overall, I have a couple of scholarships, like you said, that I am giving out and giving back to the community, and just investing in the future. And hopefully, I can start a ripple effect where um, I'm giving and they can start giving, and it'll just you know, um, domino effect, stuff like that. So, like I said, just visit visit the website theaidenshaw dot com and click on click on the AS two three scholarships for for information on that. 
What what made you want to do that, Aiden? Because obviously you're you're a college student. You've got a lot going on, and this is uh, obviously something that uh, that takes some time. What was what was the inspiration there for you? So the in, uh, the inspiration for me just growing up, my parents they really engraved into me giving back to the community, and um, I mean I, I volunteered a lot at. Uh, harvesters in Kansas City and um, Ronald McDonald and some senior homes and um, a few cancer walks and stuff like that. So just growing up, um, like I said, it's it's engraved in me. And so now I'm I'm trying to give back and um, I go to I do go to school for free. I'm on scholarship, and so um, getting NIL has has helped me give back to the community as well. And I don't have to wait until. You know, I, I'm I'm older, or I, I go to the NBA in order to give back. I can do that right now while I'm in college. So, what, what a tremendous perspective to have, and it's uh, certainly inspirational. And folks, again, you can find that at theaidenshaw.com, or go to Aiden's Twitter. That's at theaidenshaw for more information. He's got a nice video explaining some of the rules, as he mentioned. Um, to earn this scholarship, some academic rules that uh, you you would have to uh, meet in terms of those regulations. Aiden, uh, really appreciate the visit. Thanks so much for spending some time with us here in St. Louis. Best of luck tomorrow against South Carolina and uh, the rest of the year here for you and your Tigers. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Aiden, thank you. When we come back, we're going to make some picks for tomorrow tomorrow's Mizzou game and other games around the SEC and college basketball after this. All right, maybe we'll, uh, Ben, I, if I can fall behind in our college basketball picks by like 10 or 12 by, uh, you know, maybe two or three weeks from now, I'll have the utmost confidence that I can come back and beat you, say, come, uh, come mid-March. Well, no, I'm going to try a new theory here. I'm going to sandbag. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make terrible picks to start and then rally at the end. That's going to be my... Uh, I'll be like the team that, that loses a bunch of games and then wins its conference tournament to get in <laughs> to the NCAA tournament. So I'm gonna I'm gonna use your own uh, your own game right. against you this year. I like it. I like it. Um, we've, I've got uh, five games here, and we'll pick Mizzou and South Carolina tomorrow as well. I certainly would not have had this game pegged as one of the bigger games on the slate, but we mentioned the Georgia Bulldogs hosting Tennessee tomorrow morning. Tennessee coming off the loss to uh, Mississippi State, and uh, here's this Georgia team that's got to be just feeling fantastic. Not only do they beat Mizzou on the road, they come back home. They beat Arkansas by 10. Ben, the dogs are 12-3. and Mike White's got to feel like he's got himself a top 25 team right now. This Georgia team is hot. Tennessee, they've got to go on the road. and Tennessee in a tight spot here because... Uh, they're sitting here with a record of 11 and four. Um, they've got that win against Illinois. They beat uh, Mississippi last week. A nice win on the road at was you know Wisconsin. Their resume certainly not in doubt. But you don't want to be looking up at a one and two SEC record. This is a fascinating game tomorrow. What the heck happened uh, to Tennessee in in Starkville? That's a that's a kind of a typical like letdown loss. You crush Ole Miss at home, an undefeated Ole Miss team that was getting a lot of buzz. I mean, you just dismantle them, and then you turn around and go to face the Bulldogs and uh, and find a way to lose a game. That's going to happen some in the SEC this year. There's a lot of teams that are that are that are probably better than they're going to get credit for, and they're going to clip each other all season long. And 
Mississippi State is now um, 12-3. and They just beat Tennessee, and they lost last time out to South Carolina. I mean, this is going to keep happening over the course of the conference, and I think it's a sign that you've got maybe not elite teams in the league, but you've got really pretty good teams, and they're going to they're going to pound on each other. I'll be curious to see how it affects the, the bracket projections. But I feel bad for Georgia in some ways because if you're going to play Tennessee and Rick Barnes' group, you're probably not wanting to play them immediately after a road loss when you're the next road team up. I think if Tennessee had a little bit of a wandering focus after their win against Ole Miss at home, they're going to be properly refocused in time for this trip to Georgia. So I think Tennessee will probably get back on uh, – get back on the uh, right track here um they did though go through a little bit of a i wouldn't say a losing skid earlier this season they lost three in a row earlier this year but you got to remember they were to purdue kansas and north carolina so i don't think they'll be going on too long of a losing streak in conference play yeah, that was in that loaded field in hawaii so yeah no worries there i like tennessee you like tennessee yeah, I do. Yeah, I think they get back on track. Too. Yeah, too much, too many guards, really good guards, and Dalton Connect coming off a 28-point game in that loss. Uh, I, I think Tennessee goes on the road and, and uh, lets a little air out of the balloon there for the dogs. How about, uh, I mean, two teams in must-win territory. Two teams I somehow in the head in the Final Four at the start of the year. Arkansas at Florida. Both teams really feel down right now. Ben, how do you see this one playing out as the must-bus tries to get back on track in Gainesville? Yeah, gotta love the must boss who's just, you know, after wins he rips his shirt off and, and twists it around his head like a helicopter. Shout out to Petey Pablo. After losses, he just, he just basically takes a question about his team and uses it as a, uh, you know, a scouring pad to talk about how terrible they are and how miserable they've been playing. And I mean, he doesn't really hold anything back in, in wins or losses. I think both of these teams are better than what we've seen. I, I think Arkansas has talent they just haven't figured it out and i do think they're probably going to wake up and and make a run at some point florida hasn't had a conference win yet but one of those losses to kentucky the other is at Ole miss a team that is really really good this year and has been playing exceptionally well so i think even though it's on the road for them i think arkansas is going to get back on track here and i think that uh the way that that must the way that must was talking i think you'll have this team a little bit more ready to play. They're not projected to win this game. The matchup predictor loves the Gators in this game, but I'm going to pick the Hawks. I like the Gators here. I think this was a, this would be a game whoever had the home court was going to win. I think we have a lot of points in this game. I like Florida. They're not the deepest team, but uh, I, I'd pick Arkansas if this was in Fayetteville, but I'm going to go Gators here at home. we got we got to speed up a little bit here, Ben. Houston at TCU in the Big 12. A Big 12 game featuring Houston. They had a little reality check. They're not in the American anymore as they lost at Iowa State a couple <laughs> nights ago. Yeah, TCU's been playing teams tough, so I'll take TCU in this one. I like TCU as well. Uh, I think uh, Houston is is uh, learning life is a little different in their new league. We both like the Horned Frogs. How about in the Valley? Drake at Southern Illinois. Big night for Tucker DeVries a couple of nights ago, but Southern's got the second leading scorer in the country in Xavier Johnson. I don't pick against DeVries ever. I'm, I'm all for Tucker time. I think Drake gets the uh, the big one. Two really, really good teams, only with one loss apiece in, 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 in uh, Valley play. It's going to be a fun arch badness this year. I'm looking forward to it. 
I'm taking Drake in this one, even though they're on the road. I'm going to take Southern. Uh, again, I think the two top candidates for Valley Player of the Year at the moment, I think Xavier Johnson has another big night. A lot of points here. This will be a very, very fun game to watch if you like some exciting up-and-down-the-floor basketball. Bama at Mississippi State tomorrow night. Ben, big one of the SEC. Mississippi State, why not keep it rolling? You just knocked off Tennessee at home. Keep it going and take down Alabama, too. Hey, maybe these Alabama players are a little distracted by all the hoopla about Saban retiring. Maybe uh, maybe Nate Oates is uh, trying to, to get his players to focus a little bit here. I'm, no, I'm kidding. I, I do like Mississippi State in this game, though. I think they can keep – they're probably feeling like they're, uh, they, can, they can do it all after beating – after beating Tennessee. So I'm going to take Mississippi State here. Quietly, Alabama's won four in a row, Ben. They've got the number one offense in the country, according to Ken Palm. I think they make it five straight. They do it on the road. I like the Crimson Tide to roll there at Mississippi State. Finally, Mizzou, South Carolina, Ben. I'm going to take the Tigers at home tomorrow to take down the Gamecocks. And, uh, again, I think another big game for Noah Carter. I mentioned him as kind of my X Factor right now. I think he's the X Factor in the right way. 20-plus points for Noah tomorrow, and Mizzou wins. Yeah, I think uh, Missouri wins this game, and I think that in South Carolina you go thirteen and two. Wow, that's uh, that's impressive, and it is. But look at some of those wins. Yeah, they did beat Mississippi State, but uh, before that, Florida and M, Elon Winthrop, Charleston Southern, they're not exactly barn burning wins here against the opponent. So I think Missouri will be a little bit more confident. A little, I think they got, took something away from that Kentucky game. I think they're going to go and get a win at home. Ben, great stuff, sir. Um, enjoy the uh, weekend. We'll talk to you Sunday. We'll see how this all is uh, unfolding in the world of college basketball and college football. Sounds good, man. We'll catch up after a Mizzou win on Sunday. That's Ben. I'm Brennan. So long for now, folks. Mizzou Tiger basketball starting at 2 tomorrow here on the Big 550.